1: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Ramping Up Reopenings. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on COVID rates in the Garden State.
0: We've definitely plateaued. We've come down dramatically from hospitalizations and positivity rates we saw a couple of months ago, but it's still uncomfortably too high.
1: And... Heading over the bridge to New York, Union Square Hospitality CEO, a.k.a. founder of Shake Shack, Danny Meyer, says city business is set for a big recovery.
2: So many of the things that we all learned how to do, digital ordering with takeout, delivery, pickup, are going to stick. It's gonna be better than it's ever been.
1: Those stories, plus the Biden team's first meeting with China, the NFL's $100 billion deal, and March Madness, money to be made on and off
3: the court. These athletes bring a huge amount of money with what they're doing for the schools. And I think this year in particular, the idea that they can't get anything back as a result. It's Friday,
1: March 19th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. Welcome to Friday. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Some European countries are resuming the use of the AstraZeneca vaccine after the European Medicines Agency ruled it safe and effective. More than a dozen EU countries had suspended use of that shot over concerns about blood clots. Now France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and a handful of other nations will resume their vaccination programs. But of course, you have to wonder what kind of damage has been done already to make people concerned about taking these vaccines to begin with. In the meantime, the United States plans to send millions of doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine to Mexico and Canada. Tens of millions of doses have been sitting in storage pending the vaccine's approval in the United States. Meantime, use has already been approved in dozens of countries. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that the plan was to send two and a half million doses to Mexico and one and a half million doses to Canada as a loan. The U.S. would then receive doses back from those countries in the future when they get those shipments. And, Andrew, um, it's been a lot of questions about how do we share, what do we do with them, some of these things. But Scott Gottlieb has pointed out we should share with Mexico first, Mexico and Canada being our neighbors, right. making sure that we help spread some of this out.
4: We will see what happens. Uh, but you got, I don't know if you saw this, Becky. Uh, these fireworks in Congress yesterday, this was quite something. Dr. Anthony Fauci testifying before a Senate committee hearing, providing an update on the government's response to the pandemic. Though he got into a heated exchange with Senator Rand Paul, who frankly was getting a heated exchange with him. Dr. Fauci stressing the importance of continuing to wear masks even as more people get vaccinated. Take a look at
2: this. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine you want people to get the vaccine give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask forever people don't want to hear it there's no science behind it
0: well let me just state for the record that masks are not theater masks are protective and we you ask have immunity
2: people, there, theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. You're not wearing a mask because of any sign. I,
0: I totally disagree with you.
4: And then Dr. Fauci went on to explain why he disagreed. He's particularly concerned that a pullback in protective measures could trigger another COVID surge. It was a rocky start for the first high-level meeting between China and the Biden administration at a press event in Alaska yesterday. A four-minute photo session lasted more than an hour after a frothy exchange.
3: Has not, and in the future, will not accept the unwarranted accusations from the U.S. side.
2: I have to tell you, what I'm hearing is very different from what you described. Uh, I'm hearing deep satisfaction that the United States is back. That were re-engaged with our allies and partners. Both also-
4: Chinese and U.S. sides kept calling reporters back into the room so they could add remarks. In his opening remarks, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken saying that the U.S. would discuss its deep concerns with actions by China, including human rights and authoritarians in Hong Kong, uh, Xinjiang, and uh, Taiwan. Uh, Beijing considers issues in those areas to be domestic affairs, and officials repeatedly said China is opposed to foreign interference. The two-day talks set to conclude today.
5: The NFL, though, has finalized a new 11-year media rights agreement that could be worth uh, more than $100 billion. It added uh, Amazon Prime Video as an exclusive partner for its Thursday night football package. It's the first time a streaming service will carry a full package of games exclusively. Reports say Amazon is paying about a $1 billion per year for 10 years, starting in 2023. And then things kind of stay in the status quo. Viacom, CBS, Fox... And our parent company, Comcast, are all paying more than $2 billion per year for 11-year deals. It includes three Super Bowls. ABC gets added to the rotation for Super Bowls. Fox is reportedly going to save $660 million by relinquishing its Thursday night football rights. Disney will pay more than the others, about $2.7 billion per year, but will carry 23 games instead of 17 from a previous contract. And as I said, that includes two Super Bowls for its ABC network. Uh, and a new divisional round uh, playoff game, so remember Goodell a couple of years ago, people were saying, "Why does he make so much money i don 't know you can this is a pretty lucrative deal, and ratings why. were down sure. last year in the pandemic, down seven percent and there are questions about long term uh, never really with me for for, uh, for for live sports i mean that that 's always going to be the greatest uh, the greatest thing, but how do you walk the fine line between streaming without you know, alienating the people that like to watch it on TV. You try to do both, but you don't want too much of your product out there. So uh, this looks like, like walking a, a, a pretty good um, compromise. I mean, the player's got to be happy, too. Everybody's got to be happy. Robert Kraft, he, I think he had something to do with, uh, with these negotiations. He's got to be happy, although I don't know the sting from what happened. Belichick, no one's more upset than he is. I guess it wasn't Belichick that was winning all those Super Bowls. Don't say that. Someone said that to him. Not
3: the
5: last one. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I've seen some articles written about he's just not happy.
3: Nike's quarterly earnings beating estimates, although revenue fell short. Sales in China climbed 51 percent, but North American revenue dropped by 10 percent. It was hurt by shipment delays that we've seen with a lot of different companies. That's been caused by global port congestion. Nike said wholesale partners, including department stores and sporting goods outlets, didn't receive goods on time and will probably need to discount some of that merchandise to make shelf space for in-season styles. If you don't have it, you can't sell it. And that's been a, a huge issue. If you check that out, though, Nike shares down 2.7% on this news. That's a Dow component. You've got Nordstrom, Urban Outfitters, and Peloton, among the other businesses, that have reported material impacts from backlog ports, a global container shortage, and a truck driver shortage in the United States. It's been a big issue for furniture companies, too. Um, It's just something that has trickled through. We've talked to a lot of different people about it, um, and there's some big problems there. In the meantime, though, FedEx shares are higher after the company reported an unprecedented holiday shipping season. Earnings and revenue both beat expectations thanks to strong volume growth in domestic residential package delivery. The CEO, Fred Smith, said that demand would remain high for the foreseeable future because people keep ordering more and more stuff at home. And, Joe, the one thing that I really took away from that, that rights agreement, kind of a little bit of a coda on the end of what's been an incredible run for Fox, you know, Fox got was made by the NFL, that NF deal, NFL deal that they originally cut and took away from CBS that made the network. And now they're giving back on some of those. Obviously, and they need to save some money right now. But right. it's kind of interesting to watch that arc.
5: Rupert cashed in and, you know, he's left with I, I don't know whether there's any uh, buyer's remorse, seller's remorse, I guess it would be in that case. But it's definitely slimmed down. You know, Trump is gone. I don't. I don't know what necessarily they're going to do. uh, Really, I I don't. I I wouldn't know how to run Fox right now. I really wouldn't. But that certainly is one way to. If you're losing 200, how much they were losing every year? A lot of people lose every year on on NFL, right? I think it's it's uh, you know, but it's it's
3: it's what you call a loss leader. Builds the rest. Right. It helps helps the rest rest of the of the of
5: the, uh, of the programming. I'm glad we have. I love Sunday night. I love I love our you know. the... Is is Al still there? I I think Mike's taken over eventually uh, for Albert Collinsworth. You ever seen Collinsworth's son? His son is great. Jack. I'm watching him. He's an NBC guy now. March Madness uh, is back. Millions of Americans are expected to bet uh, on the games as the legal sports gambling business booms. But like so many things, Contessa, uh, Contessa Brewer joins us now with more. The pool business is down because no one's back in the office. So you got the legalized gambling. We we took a year off from March Madness. That was sad. And now at least it's back. And I I think people are excited, and it'll be better than than people thought. And the the talent is amazing with, with who's in the tournament. So it should be good. Right?
6: It should be very good. And it's all on television, which is, you know, how some people prefer to watch it anyway. But you're right, the brackets are down. They expect betting to be down eight, some 8% from the brackets. But nevertheless, about the same number of Americans, 47 million Americans expected to bet on March Madness this year. Companies like uh, FanDuel and DraftKings and Penn anticipate it could be much bigger than the Super Bowl in terms of the number of bets and the handle, the amount that is bet. Because the volume, though, will be spread out over three weeks, they also don't anticipate the kind of technical snafus that took the platforms offline during the Super Bowl. While overall betting is on par from 2019, the American Gaming Association says that betting at online and physical sports books Is expected to grow dramatically this year. And the reason for that, of course, is that sports betting landscape has changed dramatically since 2019. You have 74 million more Americans now able to bet legally in 14 more jurisdictions. One wild card, though, in the tournament this year, COVID, because unlike most NCAA tournaments, the whole kit and caboodle is taking place in that one location, in Indiana. Strict preventative measures mean that some teams are missing key players. And then, of course, there's always the possibility a team would be forced to withdraw altogether. FanDuel tells us if that happens, it would void the bets and refund gamblers. As for who the bettors are gambling on, Gonzaga, FSU, and Baylor State, guys.
5: Yeah, Baylor. Yeah, you didn't put Illinois there. That's a big... Misstep there, I think. Uh, cont- of course, that's just me. That's that's my uh, uh, that's my final pick. And uh, a lot of people are into this, uh, Becky. Quick, I know uh, you know football. I don't know about Rutgers in the Big Ten. There is no doubt you belong there, uh, basketball wise, Becky. And, and we I, are I, good. I have, and this is I the have, first
3: time in thirty years we've been back I here.
5: I have thirty I have, years. I, I, was, I have. I've got you taking uh, over Clemson. I do. But then I, I took you. I think oh. Houston. Thank you. But I do. I did. I, I, I took record. Did you? I think did you fill out a bracket, Contessa?
6: No, I, I mean, one, your chances of filling out a perfect bracket are one in nine point two quintillion. I didn't even I looked at the numbers. I'm like, it's I don't even pool. know what that number is. It's our if pool. you know, if you know something, I, don't, I know. But and, and if you know something about basketball, which honestly, I really don't. It's like one in 292 billion. But I'm like Becky. If I had thought about it, I would have had my Syracuse University hat on and, and shown a little orange love.
5: I've got the, I've got Syracuse winning initially too, and going further than people think. They got hot at the end of the year. They really did. A Couple teams did. A couple teams definitely did. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'm too focused on the, the, the Big Ten and the, and the Big East. They, and I they don't. They, they got. What about Becky? Did you do a bracket or not? You did.
3: I didn't because I actually got busy and I forgot until one o'clock yesterday. I missed the opportunity, so I totally got left out. Yeah. But but I would have picked Rutgers for probably farther than you would, Joe. Right.
5: Well your husband thinks Houston is like a a second rate number two. And I I saw what Houston did to Cincinnati twice and it was hideous. It was ugly. We gotta go. I know that. I know that we do. We gotta go. Thanks, Contessa. (laughs)
3: Contessa, great to see you. Um, By the way, Joe, I I, I want to bring up another angle of this because there's so much of the sports world that's been focused on the NCAA basketball tournament and college athletes are now using the platform to really try and speak out. There are dozens of players from at least 15 schools who took to Twitter using the hashtag not NCAA property. In fact, Rutgers senior guard Geo Baker tweeted this out. He said, If you don't believe we deserve an opportunity to create money from our name, image, and likeness, you are saying that I, a human being, should be owned by something else. He was trolled on this. He kind of got into this response because there was a CBS Sports guy who tweeted something about how you guys should be grateful to be playing. And Gio, I think, gave a really great response. He said, I think you can definitely be grateful to play this game while also understanding there's more that should be on the table. Players isolated entire year to help make this tournament happen. NCAA rewarded with $900 million. Players rewarded with free deodorant and small boxed meals. Back in January, the NCAA delayed a decision indefinitely on pay for name, image, and likeness over a warning from the Trump administration's Justice Department that its proposal might run afoul of antitrust rules. But guys, I've been following this and you can go back and forth. It's obviously a privilege to be in this game. It's a privilege to be getting um, a university education while you're playing it and be playing for free. But Geo Baker has made some really good points on Twitter. He's pointed out that if you are somebody who's there on a music scholarship, you can play a concert and get paid for that. Um, If you are somebody who's there on an academic scholarship, you are allowed to go get an internship during the summer and get paid for that. These athletes uh, bring a huge amount of money with what they're doing for the schools. And I think this year in particular, they isolated for the entire year, shut down their lives so they could do this. The idea that they can't get anything back as a result and that, again, you get boxed meals and free deodorant. That's a really good point. I
5: don't know what. Where you strike the right balance, but we certainly nobody's going to be watch, like if That's you got right all the either. NCAA bureaucrats out there with a the pickup game. I I don't know. You might have lower ratings uh, for the, the the players are important uh, to to what uh, yeah. to what happens, and the, and the revenue is really important to all the schools too. So you need the, you need the players. And, and Geo
3: Baker, by the way, has stayed around. He's a senior. He's been there four years. He's put in his time on this. It's not like he's there for a year and takes off and goes into go play professionally or something.
5: and so maybe they, some would stay. So stay what happens down. if the really if you, good players you leave pay. right away? Well, really leave but so I I've,
4: I've always wanted to pay players, but I've also wondered if you if you pay the players, do that the good news is then they stay in college longer potentially. Right.
3: I don't I don't even They'd think like they want to get paid. In some cases they just want to say we want to own our likeness or our image. If somebody comes to us no, and offers but, us something right. that we can do on the outside, let so us so get paid pay, for. No, that. but you they not the university, but they're going to
4: get paid. They're not going to get paid from the university per se. That could be one way to do it, but they get paid by the sponsors. And then the question is, does that create all sorts of craziness inside the school if one kid is, you know, a superstar making one amount of, you right. know, a huge amount there's, of money? And all that—it's it, it does get complicated. There's Though no I think great I'm answers, but I don't think complaint. what the answer. Okay. I don't
3: think the situation right now is a great situation. That's the only thing. I I don't know what the right answer is, but. They have made some really good arguments, and I wasn't necessarily somebody who came to this thinking beforehand um, that they were absolutely right. But they've made some really good arguments, and I think it's hard not to to see the logic in some of what they're saying.
5: Right. And and they're—I mean, I watch more of them than than I do the—I've been watching a lot of NBA, too. But, I mean, these guys are amazing, and I know who they are. And so they ought to be able to, you
4: know—
5: they are who they are. They ought to be able to, right. to get some uh, compensation for
4: Okay. That.
1: Next on Squawk Pod, the Garden State is opening up businesses to 50% capacity starting today. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy on why now and what's next.
0: Overall, the acceptance rate um, of the vaccine is a lot more robust and higher than we would have predicted three or four months ago. We're trying to get to 70% of our adult population by Memorial Day, and God willing, we'll get there.
6: A leading global asset manager.
5: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kerner along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross-Sorkin. The state of New Jersey is easing capacity limits today on indoor dining, gyms and other businesses. And will will be open at 50% of normal Currently, about 12% of the Garden State's population has received two doses of the coronavirus vaccine. Join us now, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. Governor, it's good to see you. We were, uh, as we do so much, and I I think you watch, and Mrs. Murphy as well. We had uh, Scott Gottlieb on. He's worried about uh, uh, New York, a neighboring state, given that variant, the the one that uh, is the more troublesome variant with the South African uh, strain, I guess, uh, thinking that there are quite a few cases in New York. Is the
0: same worry uh, f- for you in New Jersey on that variant, Governor? Good to, good to be with you, Joe. And Scott's got some deep Jersey roots, uh, I have to say. Yeah, we have that same concern. Um, we know we've got the New York variant, the U.K. variant, I guess the Brazil variant. Uh, you know, we're part of the same reality that you and I talked about a year ago. The, the, the densest part of the nation, we're the densest state in the nation. We are right on top of the New York Metro reality and, and, and invariably what hits them will hit us and vice versa. So we're watching all of that very closely.
5: It, overall, what is the latest data point that, that you can uh, bring us in terms of cases, hospitalizations, ICUs, everything else? Continuing to be yep. positive, obviously,
0: because you're, we're, you're starting to reopen. Yeah, uh, pos- positive Joe without question, but uh, we've definitely plateaued like a lot of the rest of the country. So we, we've come down dramatically from hospitalizations and positivity rates we saw a couple of months ago, but it's still uncomfortably too high. We still have almost 2,000 people in hospitals. Our, our weekday positivity rate is, is typically plus or minus 7%. We had gotten that down to under 2% uh, in the summer. Having said that, Vaccine rollout is going, you know, not not in a straight line, but I think we're number four in the country in terms of administering shots. We're up. We'll cross three point three million today. The weather will get warmer. Not today, but it'll get warmer. The curves have come down. Uh, But we watch all this like a hawk and particularly the hospitalizations. We could speculate over, you know, did we get all Did everybody get tested who should have gotten tested? We know that didn't happen in the spring. What we don't speculate over, we know exactly to the bed how many people in our hospitals are there for COVID, and that's the number we probably watch the most uh, closely.
5: So, Governor, number one, when will you expand the the uh, you know eligibility, and who who's next, and when that is that going to happen for vaccines, and what type of of changes, given that someone has had a vaccine, are you going to recommend for things like Uh, domestic travel, you know, Cuomo, uh, Governor Cuomo lifted uh, the New York uh, domestic travel quarantine. uh, And I I don't think you've made
0: that decision yet. Have you changed the quarantine guidelines yet? We we have not. So on that question, Joe, we have not. But that's something that's clearly under consideration, particularly uh, given what I said a minute ago. If we've got a weekday spot positivity of plus or minus seven percent, Um, It's not like it was in the late spring, early summer when we beat it down to 2% and you had other states in America that were 20, 30, 40%. That's no longer the case. So that's something we're reviewing actively. Uh, The the next group up to bat is a week from Monday. Very happily, retail workers who have been heroic, longshoremen, heroic, others uh, coming in. And that's also going to be a week uh, that the Biden administration has pointed to where supplies of vaccine doses are going to begin to go up dramatically, uh, and, and so that's going to be great news. And we'll be in a position in New Jersey as the president has has laid a marker down that by May first, uh, if you want to sign up to get vaccinated, uh, we want every everybody in our state at that point eligible. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I think we'll we'll have we'll meet that with comfort.
5: I have a little card that says I, I got both. Uh, you've probably seen it, and I I don't know whether I would use that anywhere. But is that is there going to be some uh, is something going to change where if I have that card or, or we require some other designation that someone's already gotten it where the the guidelines are, are going to be different? And who's putting that, that together? Who's considering that? Who, do you have a panel that's figuring
0: out how to do that? Yeah. So first of all, don't get rid of the card. That's that's likely to be card. something valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the card. L- laminate it and put it in your wallet. Uh, Secondly, uh, the CDC clearly takes the lead, uh, uh, number one. And number two, we have our own independent process. And and in terms of what that card, what what value that card will have, excuse me, other than your own personal health, um, to be determined. Uh, But but, uh, that is under consideration, and there are lots of different potential uses for that, whether it's going to a sporting event, getting on a plane, uh, et cetera. So uh, hold on to it, and again, we will... First and foremost, take our guidance from the CDC,
4: Governor. We've talked about this before, but I'm curious if your your views have changed or shifted uh, as more and more people get access to the vaccine. Is there going to be a point at which you think state workers would be required uh, to uh, have the vaccine? And perhaps the other question, because this is coming up in legal circles, uh, is whether uh, if they're not if you're not going to require the vaccine, will you require disclosure? by the employees of who has taken the vaccine and who hasn't? So in the
0: first uh, question, Andrew, um, at least not yet. And secondly, that clearly is an option. Um, I say not yet because we are encouraged and there is clearly vaccine skepticism. Some of it is completely unfounded. Some of it is completely understandable, particularly in our communities of color with the Tuskegee history and experiments in our country uh, and in that respect, we're doing a whole lot of, uh, of getting the vaccine into communities, using role models, etc. But overall, the acceptance rate um, of the vaccine is a lot more robust and higher than we would have predicted three or four months ago. And so I hope still at the end of the day, people get there of their own free will. It's particularly striking when you open it up to a community. I mentioned, for instance, Longshoremen a week from Monday. We've seen this with healthcare workers. When you're in a community and folks who are skeptical at first see that one of their colleagues didn't, you know, grow a third eye or, or collapse or have some other uh, medical challenge as a result, uh, confidence in the vaccine within communities goes up. Uh, and that, we've seen that. And I suspect that will continue to be the case. We're trying to get to 70 percent of our adult population by Memorial Day um, and God willing, we'll get there.
3: Hey, Governor, this is the first time we've gotten to talk to you since Congress passed that latest bill, uh, additional aid coming to the states to the tune of $350 billion. What will that mean for New Jersey? Mm -hmm. And does that change any of your budgeting plans or your tax plans for for this year?
0: Yeah, it's a game changer, Becky, um, without question. Uh, And it includes that state and local aid that we have been desperately asking for, allowing us to continue to deliver uh, essential services in our darkest hour of need. Uh, keep our frontline workers employed, Uh, it's a game changer. Uh, And we're Wargaming right now exactly how we will deploy that money. I had presented a budget a few weeks ago with no new taxes, uh, even without knowing where the federal piece would come out. So uh, there there are no new taxes on the horizon in New Jersey either way, but this this American Rescue Plan is an absolute game changer. Small businesses, childcare, schools, frontline workers, folks who were backed up on rent, mortgage, utility payments, on restaurants, on and on and on. Governor, uh, I know you've got to run. We appreciate your,
5: your update on, on all these things and the progress, slow but steady and, uh, it, yeah. in the Garden State. And we're fingers crossed that, that uh, one of these days will be here on set with us uh, again if, if you, right. you know, if you come in the city, you've got to come across a bridge, though. It's really expensive. I will, that, I will you, do that, that Joe. I, that? I look forward to it. Jeez, GW is like... Uh, anyway, kidding, thanks. Appreciate it, cover. Take care, Jeez, sir.
1: Coming up, heading out. We're hearing predictions for the roaring 20s. What will the dining scene look like? Shake Shack founder Danny Meyer on restaurant recovery in New York and beyond.
2: If you take nice weather so you can serve outdoors plus 50% indoor capacity, it starts to get close to where we should be in terms of our capacity for revenue.
1: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC.
4: On Wall Street, investors are betting the restaurant industry is going to make a major comeback, and um, you're seeing all sorts of brands, Darden, Shake Shack, Cheesecake Factory, soaring uh, over the past year and now trading near new highs. But challenges remain, especially for independent restaurants. Joining us right now is Union Square Hospitality Group founder and CEO, Danny Meyer. Of course, he is also the founder and chairman of Shake Shack. Danny, it's great to see you on what uh, feels like a hopeful, hopeful moment. Tell us about your hope, but also tell us about what you're doing to bring
2: people back. Well, Andrew, good morning, and tons and tons of reason for hope, not least of which is that spring is coming, and that that always makes people feel hopeful. But this year in particular, with outdoor dining, which we believe is gonna be a mainstay, uh, not just in New York, but in cities around the country, what that's going to do is to create a sense of life. And just like the stock market really is fueled by hope, so too is our industry. When, when people in New York City who may have left New York either to not go to work every single day in their office or maybe even to move away from town come back and all of a sudden the city looks like it's open for business, that then generates more people wanting to do it. Our vaccination rates are incredibly high. I just heard yesterday was yet another record right. day for, for vaccinations, what we're doing is also finding that members of our team are excited to come back. That was not the case over the course of the summer. And then finally, we've just learned that within the next couple of days, restaurants will be able to serve indoors at 50% capacity. So if you take nice weather so you can serve outdoors plus 50% indoor capacity, it starts to get close to where we should be in terms of our capacity for revenue.
4: Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Danny, in terms of in terms of the numbers. Well, a couple of things. First of all, are you requiring your workers to get vaccines? Uh, many of them, I, I understand, actually do have access to vac- vaccination at this point.
2: So that was one of the best things that happened in New York State about two months ago. Restaurant workers were moved up in line and no, we did not require people to do it. But we have gotten on our bully pulpit like you can't believe. And then furthermore, really tried to lead with a carrot by paying eight hours Shift pay per vaccination that you got. So we basically said, we're gonna give you two days off to get two shots. I guess if you get the Johnson & Johnson, you get one day pay, but that's not bad, eight hours per shot.
4: And so do, do you know, do you have people who haven't been vaccinated? And what? And how do you think about that?
2: I don't know people who've not been vaccinated. I do know that there's a certain part of the population that is still very concerned about it, but I feel like our job as business leaders is to set an example and make it as clear as possible that this is very, very important. We're going to continue to have our staff have ultra, ultra safe hygiene, double masks in the kitchen. We've been piloting a program for the last several months with Clear, and we have something called Health Pass where every single one of our employees goes through the Clear Health Pass with using their app. It asks them several questions if they have been vaccinated that information becomes part of their health pass as right. well.
4: In, in terms of the economics of, of your restaurants, and you were talking about the capacity issue, both getting the piece outdoors, getting the indoors. How much, by the way, does the bar piece, the alcohol piece of it, which has always been a very high margin piece that's often subsidized other parts of restaurants, matter in all of this? And how do you see that playing out?
2: Well, it'll play out eventually. People are still having cocktails and wine at their table. In fact, maybe more than ever. I think what you're probably driving at is that it's still not legal in New York State uh, to serve liquor over the bar. Uh, So if you're looking to come to your favorite restaurant and seeing people cheek to jowl lined up three deep at the bar, that's going to still be a while. But that's okay with us. Just we we feel like what is happening right now provides so much hope that we haven't we just haven't had just understand this yesterday we opened Union Square Cafe and Gramercy Tavern for the first time since about 2 weeks before Thanksgiving and the goosebumps and the the good feeling that that generated amongst both our staff members and our guests was palpable that will build on itself especially as you see sidewalks heaving with people as opposed to looking like a bunch of boarded up windows with four rent signs. It's just gonna be a massive difference in New York.
3: Hey, Danny, it's really exciting to think of restaurants reopening, people getting back out there. Um, I know all of you business leaders have been so amazing about trying to pivot and change as things have forced you to change. What's the point at which you're profitable? What sort of um, level of business do you need? Is it 50%? Is it 75%? Have you done things to make the business more profitable, even with fewer people there?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. One of the things that we're actually all excited about is that over this past year, we either went from no cake at all to, at best, (laughs) some birthday cake and no icing. And now what we have... (laughs) Is the possibility to have it all. And here's why. So many of the things that we all learned how to do digital ordering um, with takeout, delivery, pickup, selling wine out the door, shipping food across the country on Gold Belly. So many of those things that we learned to do during the pandemic are going to stick. How about outdoor dining? Most of us never had outdoor mm-hmm. dining. When we get to the point where we're 100% indoors, plus outdoor dining, shipping, takeout, delivery, ship, you know. It's, it's going to be better than it's ever been. I, and I'm not I'm not Pollyanna about our business. I understand how challenged the restaurant industry has been. But I believe that this has actually taught us the, the icing that we've always needed on top of the cake. Right. Now, to answer your question specifically, we found a way during one short month, and this was the month of September, or September and October, when we could serve just 25% indoors at Gramercy Tavern plus outdoors. We had our first profitable month. Now, mind you, we probably made $65, but we had positive EBITDA for the first (laughs) month with just 25% indoors. So we're really, really excited that that combination is going to get us whole pretty quickly.
4: And and that's what I was going to ask you, Danny, in terms of what it takes to just even be flat, um, so that uh, even taking the profit piece out, what does that look like to you over over the next six months?
2: Here's the big issue, Andrew. The big issue is what happens with the rent. And I believe that there is a handful of landlords who have been left holding the bag for an entire year. There's another handful of landlords who have said, here's the bag, pay it or you're out. We had that experience at a couple of our restaurants and it doesn't feel good when that happens. So the real X factor in this whole thing is what landlords developers, and maybe even government is going to do in terms of evictions, because now that the government wisely has created this relief package uh, for restaurants, which which are real grants for restaurants, if restaurants have to pay rent based on the realities of three years ago when they signed their rent, when many, many more people were going to their office, many more people were coming in as tourists or for business travel, Those realities don't exist anymore, and so the real question is not just how can we restore our business, but can we actually pay the underlying nut of of what the rent is? So I think you're going to see a lot of restaurants and landlords that are constructive saying, okay, we're in this for the long haul together. We need each other, and I think they'll be working out new deals.
3: Hey Danny, one more one more thing in that. You said that you're able to do it because you can do inside and outside. The city allowed you to go outside under these extreme conditions. And I've, I've driven through the city and seen, you know, it's, it's hard to get through on some streets, especially down in the village, because the businesses are spilling out over into the streets. As more and more New Yorkers come back, as more and more people get out there, do you worry that the city will say, OK, we're taking away the outdoor dining because we need the space back for parking or for congested sidewalks or things along those lines? How does that change the business model again?
2: So far, everyone we've spoken to in government has said this is going to stick and I'll take it a step further. I think at last count, there were about 12 people running for mayor of New York and every single one I've spoken to. I haven't spoken to 12 of them, but they all say this is always my first question. And they all say they love it. And this is going to stick.
4: Well, we hope it sticks, Danny. Uh, and we wish you a lot of luck as we do all the uh, small businesses and restaurateurs out there. And uh, we're hopeful for you and everybody else. Thanks again for joining us. Thank this you
2: morning. both so much.
1: That's the podcast for today and for the week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Subscribe to and share Squawk Pod. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find Squawk Pod. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend.